What's up, guys, and welcome to our podcast, Mental Health in America, Where Are You Now? I am Knight, and today I have with me Heath, Caroline, and Holly. For those of you who are new to our podcast, we focus on mental health issues and the impact they have on the community and the individuals in it. In case you didn't know, more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness or disorder in their life. Looking specifically at the United States, one in five Americans experience a mental illness in a given year. Some people may ask specifically, what are mental illnesses and how do we define them? Well, mental illnesses are conditions that affect a person's thinking, feeling, mood, or behavior. They influence our emotional, psychological, and social well-being, which in turn impacts our daily lives. For this specific podcast, our goal is to focus particularly on college-age students ages 18 to 25 and how mental illnesses are impacting their daily life. We will also touch on the resources that are available to them, as well as the opportunities and challenges that this population faces with mental illnesses. We are even including a special segment on how this population's mental health has been impacted by COVID-19. The reason the mental health of college-age students is so important is due to the fact that studies have shown the high prevalence of mental illnesses are in adults ages 18 to 25, and especially among students. Around 50% of students rated their mental health below average or poor, and 30% have reported that they have had problems with schoolwork due to a mental health issue. This can be a very scary statistic knowing how many students actually seek help when they are struggling with mental illnesses. As we dive deeper into this topic, we want to give some background information on specific mental disorders such as anxiety and depression and how they are affecting college-age students. These are just two examples of the many mental disorders students face. It is seen that around 50% of college students have struggled with anxiety and as a result struggled with school. For listeners to clearly understand, anxiety disorders are one of the four main categories of disorders and are defined as a group of mental disorders characterized by feelings of anxiety and fear. They are similar to depression because the symptoms can range from mild to severe. While anxiety and depression can be somewhat similar, the World Health Organization characterizes depressive disorders by feelings of sadness, loss of interest or pleasure, feelings of guilt or low self-worth, disturbed sleep or appetite, feelings of tiredness and poor concentration. While many people periodically struggle with this, some of these emotions are there for students all the time and it is time to change the stigma around mental illnesses and help them receive the help they need. Most of us could think of an example of people who we know who have some of these feelings. And it is time to make a change. Next, we'll hear from Holly about treatment for mental illnesses and the resources that are available for students. In the past, treatment options and resources for mental health were unpleasant, to say the least. One of the earliest forms of treatment, dating back to at least 7,000 years, was known as trepanation which is the removal of a small part of the skull. Then followed the practice of isolation and the use of asylums, which became the preferred method of treatment for mental illnesses as early as the 1600s. In 1927, insulin coma therapy was introduced. The therapy consisted of physicians deliberately putting the patient into a low blood sugar coma with the idea that it would alter how the brain functioned, but instead it caused the brain to lose function and increase the chances of prolonged coma. The therapy ended in the 1960s. Next came metrazole therapy, which involved shock treatment and intravenous injections of metrazole and ended up doing more damage than help and was discontinued in the 1940s. Then, in 1949, the lobotomy was the contender of the Nobel Peace Prize in Physiology and Medicine, as it involved severing connections between the prefrontal cortex and the frontal lobes of the brain. It was found to help treat mental illness to a certain degree, 
but it also introduced new impairments. Treatment today focuses on the biomedical therapy, as well as increased access to care. Medications such as antidepressants, anti-anxiety, mood stabilizers, and antipsychotics are commonly prescribed to help treat specific mental illnesses. As years have gone on, psychotherapy has become more commonly practiced and allows for individuals to talk through their mental illnesses in safe spaces and learn about their thoughts and feelings, as well as how to constructively work through them. New treatments such as brain stimulation are becoming more commonly used to stimulate brain nerves and help treat patients like those who are struggling with depression. Hospitals and residential programs have also become more popular for more chronic cases as those facilities and medical staff are more adept to care for these types of patients. And as the availability and quality of these facilities increase, so does their price. An upward of 14 to 20 percent of young people in the United States are affected by mental, emotional, or behavioral disorders, and this takes a toll on their personal life, family life, and social standing. It interferes with their ability to carry out normal developmental tasks, which in turn makes it difficult to maintain healthy relationships, succeed in school, and do well at work. In 2007, the annual quantifiable cost of such disorders amongst young people was estimated to be $247 billion, which is about $2,380 per person, making it very expensive and inconvenient to get treatment for mental disorders in the United States. According to the CDC, there's been a sharp increase in stress-related disorders and diseases over the past few decades. Studies conducted suggest that this shift may be due to the rise of technology and digital media. The studies found that the rate of individuals ages 18 through 25 reporting symptoms that are consistent with stress-related disorders and suicide-related outcomes, such as major depression, more than doubled in the last 10 years. But interestingly, there was no significant increase in the reports coming from older adults. Researchers have reason to believe that this trend may be partially due to the increased use of electronic communication and digital media, which may have changed modes of social interaction enough to affect mood disorders, as well as research showing young people aren't sleeping nearly as much as previous generations. In 2005, the CDC recommended that mental health be treated with the same urgency as physical health because it can influence onset, progression, and outcome of other illnesses. But unfortunately, due to negative stigma and cost, the majority of people, even if diagnosed, do not receive treatment for their mental disorders. The stigma associated with mental health can be categorized in two different ways, social stigma and self-perceived stigma. Social stigma is defined as the prejudice attitudes other people have about mental illnesses, whereas self-perceived stigma is internalized. Both of these stigmas stem from the lack of understanding of mental illness, as well as the fear of unknown. Studies show that despite the public becoming more aware of the nature of different mental illnesses and more accepting of the medical validity of these conditions, through means of public awareness, like World Mental Health Day on October 10th, there is still negative perception of people who have these conditions. Stigmas like these can cause internalized shame and make people feel vulnerable and invalidated, which leads to people not seeking help or having poor treatment outcomes. But there is hope due to organizations like the WHO, the World Health Organization, who have created a new action plan for 2020 that relies on six cross-cutting principles and approaches, universal health coverage, human rights, evidence-based practices, life course approaches, multi-sectoral approaches, and empowerment of persons with mental disorders and psychological disabilities. We will now hear more on this from Caroline with opportunities that are being developed to help with mental illnesses. 
Groups such as the World Health Organization that Hallie just mentioned play a vital role in promoting mental health awareness by providing opportunities for public health intervention. Having access to adequate mental health resources is critical when it comes to providing the public with useful outlets that they can use to maintain their mental health. When it comes to providing opportunities for public health intervention, the World Health Organization recommends that mental health promotion be implemented at three levels, strengthening individuals, strengthening communities, and reducing structural barriers to mental health. Structural barriers to mental health can be reduced through initiatives to reduce discrimination and inequalities and to promote access to education, meaningful employment, housing, health services, and support to those who are vulnerable. For instance, barriers to treatment for depression and anxiety are prevalent among older adults and caregivers living in the community. In 2019, a study was conducted in which an at-home evidence-based psychotherapy program was provided to over 200 clients who suffer from a range of mental health problems. After this implementation of the direct at-home care, the study results showed that depression, anxiety, quality of life, and patient activation all improved significantly. As the program matured, both treatment duration and direct costs declined for a considerable majority of the patients. This is a good example of providing mental health outlets to the older population who are often neglected when it comes to mental health awareness. But, as Hallie previously mentioned, mental health should be treated with the same urgency as physical health. The earlier that we take steps to improve our mental health, the stronger our mental strength becomes. This primary approach of treatment helps to not only prevent mental health from becoming worse, but also prevent mental illness before it even starts. With that being said, it is very important that children have access to public health intervention as early as possible. One of the easiest ways to provide this access is to make sure that school infrastructures employ a large-scale implementation of both public health awareness programs and interventions. Schools are pervasive environments in young people's lives, and they have the opportunity to positively impact the student's mental health. The quality of these intervention programs is central, as well as making sure that the programs are responsive to school, student, and community needs. It has also been noted that the modes of delivery and the nature of the intervention are important because they need to appeal to young people. It has been suggested that this could be facilitated by implementing mental health awareness intervention in the form of digital health promotion. In this digital age, the internet has become a central part of daily life, and therefore, if it is used correctly, it has the potential to make a lasting positive impact on the mental health of adolescents. In light of the current pandemic that has limited individuals' opportunity to seek mental health resources, this digital promotion strategy can be very useful. When talking about opportunities for public health intervention, it is important to keep in mind that each community's needs and resources are not the same as the next communities. The 2001 World Health Report categorized countries into three scenarios based on their mental health resources, low, medium, and high, and recommended strategies to improve their situation. These recommendations included providing treatment through primary and community care, educating the public, involving communities, developing policies and legislation, initiating school and workplace-related mental health programs, and supporting more research into mental health. These programs, however, need to be implemented based on the availability of resources within that specific community. By appropriately combining prevention and promotion programs such as these ones previously mentioned, 
there's been a reduction in stigma as well as an increase in cost effectiveness. Thankfully, mental health awareness has become a topic of discussion in today's society rather than being shunned, but there is still plenty of room for improvement. In order to reduce the burden of mental disorders, it is essential that a wider range of prevention and promotion opportunities are created at the individual, family, and institutional socio-ecological levels. Mental health awareness is now more important than ever. A novel coronavirus outbreak first documented in Wuhan, China at the end of last year is now confirmed on six continents and more than 100 countries. As of April 20th, 42 states are urged to stay home compared to the nine statewide orders that were in place at the end of March. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, this virus makes people more susceptible to stress, puts them at greater risk of relapse or worsening of condition, and creates a greater barrier to accessing healthcare. Additionally, with fewer things to do in isolation, Stress can be heightened due to changes in sleep or eating patterns, difficulty in concentrating, and increased use of alcohol, tobacco, or other drugs. Just two weeks after the World Health Organization declared the virus a global pandemic, alcohol sales in the United States increased 55%. Even for us students, these times have become more stressful. While we have summer jobs, when will our graduation ceremony take place? Are we getting the education that we're paying for? On top of these concerns as students are common reactions to the virus, concerns about protecting oneself if they are at higher risk, concern that regular community services may be disrupted, concerns about feeling socially isolated and lonely. Unemployment claims have reached an all-time high of 26 million, and now the future looks even more uncertain as to when we will reach some sort of normalcy again. However, there are many ways to cope with this stress. The CDC recommends taking breaks from watching, reading, or listening to news stories. They also recommend taking care of your body by eating healthy, well-balanced meals, exercising regularly, and getting sleep. Most importantly, they recommend making time to unwind and connect with others. Here's what psychiatrist Dr. Jessica Lemons had to say about reducing anxiety when she made an appearance on ABC News earlier this month. This is a time where a lot of people are feeling anxiety. Quite frankly, I imagine most people are, right? Forget the 40 million people who already experience anxiety disorders. So what I tell people in times like these, is especially with social distancing, to be creative about ways to remain engaged with people in their lives, right? So if you're at home because schools are you know, closed or you're working from home now, do things like FaceTime. Face, FaceTime your family members. Make sure that you're checking in in a very intentional way. You know, Also check on your neighbors, doing things to remain engaged and not really overdoing it with the social distancing. You don't have to completely avoid anyone, obviously, unless you are quarantined, but it's going to be important to do that because, again, isolation can make one feel even more depressed, anxious, and continue to have those thoughts that, that are really hard to get out of a loop once you've started it. Although tension may be high during this time, we must take it as an opportunity, an opportunity to inform each other and end the stigma surrounding treatment and mental illness. Thank you to our hosts, and thank you for listening to this episode of Mental Health in America. Where are we now? Music